0: Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. The Bicultural Podcast celebrates cross cultural identity and gives insight into cultural differences to help you improve business relationships. The podcast is published bi weekly and is hosted by myself, Janina Neumann, a bilingual creative, social entrepreneur, and business owner of Janina Neumann Design. Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Yi Hua Lai, founder of the Unique Business Journey.
1: Hi Yi, how are you? Hi Yanina, how are you?
0: I'm very good, thank you. So good to have you on my podcast. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good,
1: thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: uh, it's my pleasure. Would you like to tell us a little bit about
1: yourself? Uh, yes, um, I am. you can call me Yi for simplicity's sake. And, um, I was born in Malaysia, but I migrated to Australia. So, um, that's like the simple history. Um, and I have also lived in, um, Japan, Singapore and France. Um, but like I have a very complicated ancestry history because my, my grandparents were from China and we all migrated to Malaysia. <laughs> Um and uh, yeah I love um, different cultures especially living in um, different countries um, because I find that if you live in a country for a little while you kind of take on board some of their culture as your own and that sort of enriches um, your life and that has enriched my life
0: that's brilliant. And, you know, would you like to tell us a little bit more about um, the languages that you speak? Because I think they speak volumes as well um, from your interests and also your identity um, in the way that you see culture.
1: Um, I can speak uh, Mandarin, Cantonese, English. Um, I know Malay, but I don't really get that fluent. Um, I learn. Japanese and French uh, later in life. I'm mostly fluent in five languages except for Malay because I have hardly ever had the chance to speak in a very long while.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. I'm so pleased to meet someone who can speak so many languages and have an understanding because I think once you learn like a different language, you Open up your mind to a different way of thinking and communicating, and it also tells
1: you so much about the culture as well. Yeah, certainly. Like, um, if you were to read a book that is written, maybe something like in Mandarin or Japanese, um, you sort of get the, you know, the the nuances of what they're they're saying, and those nuances can get like lost in when you read a translated version of the same book. Um, as well as when, um, I suppose it's sort of like watching comedy. Um, if you don't live in that culture or have a great understanding or enough understanding, you just don't find it funny. <laughs> I suppose that's a like an analogy or you don't find it as profound or you don't find it that impactful when you read about it because you, you have no context to, to um, put it in.
0: That's really interesting because... I know that a lot of people say that um, Germans don't have any humor, but the thing is, like, the way um, a joke is phrased is completely different to how you'd phrase a um, or structure um, a joke in um, in the UK. Um, yeah. So the, almost the punchline comes at the end, so you have to wait for it. <laughs>
1: really funny to get it. <laughs> I don't think anyone is lack of humor, but it's just whether you get that or not. <laughs> Yes, exactly,
0: exactly. Um I I also found it interesting, someone I was speaking to, so he's um fluent in German, um and on his website he put um that he speaks um German well. And I said to him, you know, you need to actually say that you speak fluent, uh, you know, fluent German. He's like, well, people are just going to get that by my name. I'm thinking, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) But he found that as a, you know, he said that and wrote that as a joke.
1: So that's always
0: going to translate, um, (laughs) you know, across cultures, but also, you know, someone doesn't always have that understanding whether that's a german name or not
1: <laughs> yeah and i think it comes with a lot of understanding and the the cultural spirit like when i was doing japanese um and i had a friend um when i was doing japanese in the japanese school he is french or well, he speaks quite fluent japanese but he just don't read like he can't read most of the words <laughs> So, so there was this time where we were doing an exam and um, we have to fill in um, the blank of one of the mini conversation. And and the first line says like, you know, um, our boss doesn't look so good. And the second line was like, you're supposed to say like, you know, um, you know, something in the context of, I wonder if he's okay or something, but because he couldn't read the first sentence. (laughs) So, so he guessed it and he was like, I think this will be good. So he put like, isn't it good in, in Japanese? And, and then when the, the test came back, he was like he only got half a point and he was arguing with the teacher like, but it's grammatically right. And, and the teacher was like, yes, grammatically right, but not culturally or, you know, team spirited enough because you're you're like being happy that this superior is being sick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant yeah
1: I'm like yeah what she says true you can't just put something grammatically right
0: <laughs> that's a really interesting thought though um I can see his point because you know you might be happy that they might feel ill because um you might get to go home early but to be honest you might have to work even harder if they're yeah. ill <laughs> but
1: I think in the Japanese culture like no matter how like. Oh, thank God, he's sick or something. You're not just gonna say out because it's just not, you know, not not the right context, no. <laughs> not socially correct.
0: <laughs> I I would I I think in most cultures it's not. Honest, <laughs> <what I'm saying. laughs> oh, that's brilliant! So, so what? The, what? So what inspired you to um like learn different languages?
1: Um, I always love, um, languages and it's something that I do well, um, since young because we have to at least speak three languages, um, because like my grandma speaks only Cantonese and then our parents, um, speaks Mandarin and then, then we have to learn, um, Malay and English in school. So from a very young age, it was just something that I kind of do well and, and then when i got into literature i see the difference like the difference between a translated um version and the actual version and i really wanted to know what culturally is what they really think and that's why I like the only way to do it is to learn the language that the book is being written
0: <laughs> wow that's so cool and i think but those who don't speak a second language will find that more difficult to understand than those who can speak another language um, I think that's that's fantastic so do you also think that you um, changed the way you uh, like expressed yourself when you talked for example in Cantonese to your grandma compared to talking to your parents
1: uh, yes <laughs> uh, I think like Cantonese in a way for us it's very um, to the point and it can be very um, I would say maybe a bit offensive for some people, but it was just, um, very, is a language that really highlights the, um, the irony of the whole situation. So if you know Cantonese and you're in that culture, you, you would find it funny. Well, even though you feel like maybe it was a bit you know, offensive or insulting, but that's, that's the funny part. <laughs> and and then you think like oh yeah it's to the point and um and then they're very um I mean we're not living in Hong Kong but they also have very um trendy words that comes out all the time and I have um like one or two Hong Kong girlfriends They, they taught me a few trendy words and it was like like one day he was describing that he was surprised and he said, I my mouth completely went to an O shape. <laughs> and I was like what? What is that? And then he was like, you know, O shape. Oh my god. Oh, and I'm like, oh yeah. It's very um, you know, giving that image that <laughs> I never thought before. Because I would just say I'm surprised, but then he's like, my mouth completely became O shape. Like,
0: oh yeah, that's fantastic. That's very almost um, very visual and poetic almost. I love that. That's really nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's so so to the point, and to what you can see. and um and there was this also this expression he taught me, like you know when in English, we call it like you know, we chicken out <laughs> and and then in in this language, um in Cantonese, he told me like, um, are you trying to stay at the bottom of the pot or something? like you know, when you got burnt, and that sort of burnt layer was at the bottom <laughs> of the pot. And and it's like, are you trying to chicken out? <laughs> and I was like, but well, I never thought of it that way. But that was one of the trendy words back then. And obviously, they probably have replaced one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. That's really interesting. And it's, it's fascinating um, how, how, like you say, how you can understand the cultures better. And I'm just, you know, I- intrigued. You know, you've moved from like, Different cultures, just you know, through learning different languages. What are some of the things that you've learned by doing so?
1: Well, I think certainly I've gotten a bit more, you know, um, maybe subtle. <laughs> was when I was younger, um, apparently, according to some of my friends, I was very abrupt. Like I think it this way, and uh, I don't see what's the problem. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you that. You know, I don't see the problem, <laughs> but but after I've been in Japan and everything, I, I would be going like, uh, yeah, but help me see the problem here. <laughs> so 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 I'm not so um, abrupt um, because like in the Japanese culture, you learn to be less abrupt to sort of fit in, and um, anyone who's really um, individualistic, sort of. Stand out, and if you live in the culture from for long periods of time, it's just not something that you want to draw too much attention to yourself. And so, yeah, I I became more polite. So to speak.
0: <laughs> that, that's really interesting that you say that because you know I can imagine that. Um, just from what you've said that in other cultures you know if you're not direct you might be it might come across like you're hiding something yeah. or you're not telling the truth so that might be impolite by not being direct
1: yeah. um, <laughs> but I've also found that I've gotten um, very apologetic after I mean it's starting to come off uh, a bit but um, whenever I asked a favour I felt like it was a huge imposition <laughs> <laughs> and, and then once I was asking a friend who is like uh, Chinese, and I said, "Oh, thank you so much!" And you know, I said thank you so many times. And then she was like, um, "Why are you so Japanese?" Like, you know, I was like, "I didn't realize that." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant.
1: That's,
0: uh, I, I can definitely relate to that. When I go to Germany, they almost think, um, "Well, they they." they now say that I sometimes speak German with a slight British accent. (laughs) They they assume that I'm um, (laughs) British. (laughs) Um, And so they they, they kind of not say anything. But I remember when I was younger, people were saying to me, you know, why do you keep apologizing? And, you know, like people barge, like, like, you know, through the aisles and, you know, (laughs) you do think... (laughs) I kind of expect an apology but then it you know in that setting it seems a bit odd um, uh, if if you apologize that much and you kind of cut it out a bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it's true and also like um, you know when people greet you you will sort of reply in in most culture and um, in, in the like, when I was in Japan, when you go into a shop, they always say, like, irashemase. And then it's not something that you have to reply. <laughs> and, and it was funny. Like, one day I was with um, my husband, well, then boyfriend, um, and he only just arrived in Japan. And uh, I was living there for a little while. And, and, then he, and then I said, I want to get something from the convenience store. So I just ran right into it and there was this guy who said you know shame I say and I just like ignore and I went to find some the things that I need and he came up to me and my husband came up to me he said you're so rude you ignore that guy (laughs) and and I said no you're not supposed to answer back because every shop you go in they're going to say the same thing and you can't have all the energy to like (laughs) answer a gazillion times
0: (laughs) oh that's really interesting I suppose in the UK it's the equivalent of someone saying all right um to you yeah or you give a nod but you don't like
1: okay uh, hi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: well you know but then it's like oh how are you doing and then, but then it's difficult because some people are genuinely asking how you're doing yeah. so if you're too vague um. Then they might say, "Okay, this is a bit odd." Yeah. But then other times they don't want to know your whole day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how it's been and everything. <laughs> oh. oh, that's really interesting to hear. And um, how did you find um uh, moving to France? Like, um, uh, with uh, those experiences, how how they were perhaps similar or different to the experiences you've had
1: before? Um. Oh. I just moved to France straight away after I lived in Japan. So it was quite a big cultural change. And um, I think they are rude (laughs) in comparison because um, there's a lot of courtesy thing and a bit of uh, civic conscious type thing um, that they don't do. Um, I'm not sure if it's just my own experience, but for a lot of us who just came from another country, you would discover that there are dog poos everywhere around France. <laughs> hmm. and, and it's not very courteous. Um, and um, I got this story from my landlord who is also like super travel with everywhere. Um, he's a group trotter before he retires. And um, like we live in this house here and there are lots of, people living around with dogs and the funny thing is like they bring their dog to poop in front of his house and and it was kind of strange like and then he was telling me he's caught one of the sort of people who live around the place not sure if he's really a neighbor and um he was bringing his dog and his dog was actually pooping in front of his house and and he confronted him he was like um can you not bring your dog to you know, do his business in, in front of my house. And he said, but it wasn't, um, you know, uh, against the law. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, it's not against the law, but it's not very civil. And he was like, oh, well, it's not against the law, so I'm just going to keep doing it. And in most culture, you, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't want people to poop in front of your house. And, and then why you, would you do it to another person? And, and that's, like, the the sort of, like, civil example that I find kind of strange, um, so I'm not sure how to make of that. And But everywhere, like, I've lived in um, the north, um, somewhere near Paris, and then now down south, um, people seem to have the very similar idea of, like, as long as it's not in front of my house type. Hmm.
0: Well, I, I haven't lived in France. I, I don't know too much about the culture. Um, but like behavior like that is, I, I also agree. is not good. Um, it's not, it's, you have to create, and especially now it's during the pandemic, you know, Mm. I've realized more and more that it's really important to look after like the people that you live with and the surrounding, because, you know that's where we spent a lot of our time and sometimes you just do things for other people and they might not even know about it um and I think that just brings you joy when you look after other people but I think that's also a you know personality thing and a cultural thing as well
1: yeah but they're, they're very weird like strangely polite when you Pass each other on the sidewalks. They like they'll be like, uh, "Hello" or, or something like. I don't really know this person, but they they do that. But when it comes to their their pets, and they just don't really, you know, it's like not my problem type. And I I really can't find the, you know, how to reconcile this <laughs> two different sort of attitudes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I get that. Well, I will if if I find the answer, I will let you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, like I've got a friend who also came over, and we did university um, language course together. And she went to Paris, and she stepped on dog poop. <laughs> and she's like, oh. "Oh my god, I can't believe that." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> believe it."
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, that that's 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 the downsides of um yeah some of the cultures um cultural habits in, in France then that's yeah but um, I just
1: don't know how to you know how how you can be polite with someone who you don't know <laughs> on the sidewalk and then and then this is like one of the really impolite things <laughs> to do
0: yeah no I get that oh well moving on from um, dog poo <laughs> to the you know to an a, a topic which I which I'm really interested to hear about more is you know tell us about how you started your business.
1: Um, I started my business because um, when I first moved to France well I can only get like Really short term jobs, and I don't really find that is very um, you know viable for the long term. And also because um, my husband works in research, so does have to do a lot to do with like if the research gets any grants. So there's no um, permanent job position, and which means we probably have to move to where he finds the next job. So it's not really. Um, yeah, practical for me to find a job, and then after six months, I have to quit and then do something else. If I ever find another thing, so I wanted a, um, something that I can do regardless of where I am, and um, and I started off as um, trying to be a bookkeeper, but then I realized it is tied to a lot of legislation um, in in the country that you are in. Mm-hmm. And um, and then one day I was um, going through the internet and there was a webinar that popped out about uh, how to be a project manager. So I went on it and um, and what the lady described was exactly what I was doing um, when I was working in Japan. <laughs> wow. And I just never thought of it that way because I did a lot of event planning and, um, then I realized, hang on, that was exactly what I was doing. <laughs> and and i but I never connect the dots between like a project management is the same or similar to an event management or planning. So, um then I thought, like, yeah, and I remember when I was a pharmacist, like people lose a lot of time and we lose a lot of resources because of uh, lack of planning, and it causes a lot of stress and um then i wonder if other people have the same problem so then i that's how i started um pivoting into um the project management area
0: that's fantastic um to hear that you found the skills that you already had um and discovered them <laughs> Um, and made it into a business and I just I just want to say you know it's so I I can I can't imagine that you know um, having the difficulties of first you know thinking about where where do you want to work and things like that and but I applaud you honestly for setting up a business because it does give you the freedom um, with time but you know um also it's so hard to set up a business and it's fantastic that
1: you're here in the <laughs> business community yeah I, mean, <laughs> I always wanted to start my business when I was like in my 20s but I just don't know how and um, after starting my business because I was kind of like fell into it um, and then I discover because of all the networking and people I spoke to I discovered everyone has the same problem like maybe not wanting to start a business but in their own life um they have this like you know reaching the bottleneck thing and they don't know what to do and they felt so stuck because they have no other way of coming up with a lot of different options and sort of like when I went into business so it, it kind of taught me how to um think differently and then um look at other options explore give myself the permission to explore give myself the permission to sort of like well fail but look upon failure as more like an opportunity than being failure and that sort of like I lost some of the fear and i really hope that people who are you know in this like i'm not sure what to do i'm so stuck position could also like you know experience that too
0: Yes, I think that's a great way um, to help businesses. And I actually listened to um, another podcast this morning, and they highlighted, you know, we always talk about, you know, chances of success or chances of making your business great. And yeah, that's all well and good. But they actually phrased it in a different way. And I found it really interesting. So if you ask, like, of successful industry people about um you know how long it took for them to be successful how many uh, meetings they had to go to yeah. how many pictures they had to do um and you know say it's um they had to do 999 uh, failed business meetings yeah. and then on the thousands one um it was successful then they the, the way it was described in the podcast episode, it was actually you need to go and go go out there and make those ninety nine nine 999 mistakes mm-hmm. until you get it. Like that's the price you pay. Like yeah. if you want to <laughs> buy success, you have to buy, you know, that's the currency. And I found that so interesting because um, I I never heard it explained that way. And also, you know, they mentioned that the reason why you do something that you love is um, because it keeps you going Mm -hmm. um, through those hard times and that is your kind of reward to keep going for it. Um, And it's, it's obviously a lot better when you start to realize that, you know, you can make those mistakes, but you, you can um, almost build that up that resilience by working with someone like yourself um, so that the, you know, the learnings
1: aren't as hard as they are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true because when I first started, I didn't know what to do. Like, and there are so many like gurus or whatever on the internet. And like, I, I I I practically consumed everything that says how to start a business or similar topics. But it's just something that I've read before. And it was like copy from someone else and someone else. And then I met um, my business coach and he actually got me to do, speak to 50 people in the first month. <laughs> wow. And and then, and then so I did. So I, I went out and I spoke to people and because he told me the, the answers are in the questions. And, and initially, I don't know what to ask. So I just like ask what's your biggest challenge. But. Like from the first person to like now I think I've spoken to maybe more than a 100. So um, I sort of know, I sort of started learning what other questions that I should ask and what sort of cues I can um, ask further questions. So because of that, like because of speaking to people, going out there and learning about people and what they do in their business, I sort of like taught myself. Um More than I would have just done if i just looked through the internet
0: <laughs> oh, that's really good, and also that experience from yourself and from other people's experience how yeah. you know it helps you with your own clients um yeah. um who you work with so tell us a little bit about kind of how you can help people by working with you um through the unique
1: business journey. Um, the unique piece journey is actually moving towards uh, helping people to launch their um, digital products online, um, because launch uh, management is a part of like project management, which I also realized later on, <laughs> and um, and it helps you to sort of build up an audience, and then we. And um, I actually work with another business partner who does the same thing. We help to give the technical support to to get the whole structure up and running, and also a little bit after the launch to um, to catch all the feedback, because that is what you is like golden nuggets. It is not so much about whether you sell a gazillion products in your first launch but it's whether how much you learn from the first one to make the second one better. And the reason I want to pivot into um, more a launch thing because it's very experimental as well. And it's only through experimenting that you sort of get the data you need. (laughs) It's a lot like you go out and speaking to people. It's a whole new experience and, and then you get, the other input from the people and which is in this case the input from your customer or people who are interested in what you want to launch what you want to sell and um, I find it very rewarding because after all like life is actually a huge big lifelong learning process and this is like very controlled learning process that I find I can help most people because we can't just do things as what People told us um, because they probably only know just as much as we do from the internet. But the only way to get the real insight is to actually go out and interact with people, especially your customer, and then get that um, sort of information, the insight, to make your business better. And that is why I find trying to help people to launch um, is so rewarding
0: yeah, and I can imagine there's a lot of um, coaching going on whilst you take clients through that process. Because I just from my own experiences, I can imagine that a lot of people just don't want to know that something isn't working. Even <laughs> yeah, if you know, you know, in regards to chances of success, they at least know that they, um, you know, ticked off one of the 999 <laughs> ways not to do
1: it. Yeah, but the, the thing for me is. Um, I would like to know something bad early than <laughs> putting it off because it's like, what do I have to deal with emotionally? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually doing my uh, my own launch like in two weeks and it's been Brilliant. a huge learning journey when you're doing it yourself too instead of helping other people doing it too. <laughs> Yes. No, that's
0: fantastic. And just for our listeners, so we're recording this um at the end of September 2021. So in October uh, two thousand twenty one, we will be able to see your launch. Yes, yeah.
1: fantastic. <laughs> I mean it was like a lot of effort to um create um the, the whole structure, all the copies, and and I learned a lot and I've got a lot of insights too. So, um, yeah, hopefully it will be something that is educational. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: That sounds really good. And yeah how how could people connect and work
1: with you if they love listening to you? Um, I usually connect with people on LinkedIn. And um, if you would like to have a chat, just go through the uh, calendar link and just book a time. And I'd really love to speak to anyone, really about um, business, about um, life, because these are all the wisdom um, that I can have um, that will help me in life. (laughs) And I would also hope that my life experience could help um, you or the listeners um, in life too. I mean, I'm not that old yet, but (laughs) I've done quite a bit of experimentation. (laughs) You have.
0: And, you know, you've experienced a lot of things as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's always really good talking to you. And, again, I love talking to you today. And I just want to thank, thank you um, for your time and for being so open. I really enjoyed our
1: chat. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the chat too.
0: Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, oh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, then why not subscribe, review and share with others? You can also find all transcripts available at transcripts.thebiculturalpodcast.com. Thank you for listening and bis bald.